You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. So we are uh, almost to the end of Nehemiah in our series that we've been talking about rebuilding from catastrophe. We started as uh, kind of understanding from COVID has been a decent catastrophe in the life uh, for most of us, and now we're kind of moving uh, beyond that, which is a great, but we started this series with the idea of uh, Nehemiah's rebuilding, uh, and so we, um, next week will be our last uh, Sunday, and then we'll start uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is, will be exciting in and of itself. Um, but as we near the end of Nehemiah, we kind of come to the culmination of what uh, Nehemiah is all about and what uh, God desires for us. Um, in it, we, we see um, how God has worked and how he has used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, but also how the people have been rebuilt and how the worship of God has been rebuilt. And so we talked about at the beginning of this series, it's been 140 years since Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, and no one had kind of taken up the mantle to try to rebuild any of it. And so finally, you know, God put it on Nehemiah's heart to go and uh, start to rebuild the city. And that's what we've seen um, in wonderful and amazing ways. And so in our passage this morning, uh, it, it ties really closely uh, with what David uh, Tipton talked about last week. And I forgot my Bible. Uh, don't mind me. La, la, la. And so um, I, I want to read to you because the, the connection is so strong that it's important that you have a context for uh, what happened last week uh, in Nehemiah 12 as we continue to finish that today. So I just want to give you kind of a brief uh, summation from Nehemiah 12, 27 through 31, and then uh, 40 through 43 that kind of sets up our passage today. Uh, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, and with cymbals, and harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem, and from the villages of the Netophatites, and from Beth Gigal, and from the region of Geba, and Azimath. For the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And then I brought the leaders of, Jerusalem, of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south wall to the dung gate. And then skipping over to verse 40. Uh, the other choir uh, went north. Uh, so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half the officials with me. Um, the singers sang, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And so as you see, uh, it's the dedication of the wall. This is, again, the culmination, not only the wall, but the people and the worship of God is all being restored. And so this is what the whole goal of what Nehemiah, all this whole long stretch, these 140 years, God is rebuilding his people. God is rebuilding this place. God is redoing um, his worship um, of them. And so not only at the dedication of the wall, but it's connected to our passage this morning, we see that God can people continue to be obedient to God's commands? They had had this covenant in chapter 10, this covenant renewal where they said, we will 
do all the things that God is asking us to do, and they fulfill that. And you'll see some of that in our passage uh, this morning. And so what a joyful thing it is to see God's people do what he has asked them to do in the way that he has asked them to do. Um, And so our verses this morning are uh, chapter 12, verses 44 through 47, uh, which say this. On that day, the day of the dedication of the wall, the men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather them into the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and of the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and for the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. So as we see in our passage uh, this morning, Uh, It's the culmination of everything that God has been doing, and we see that in a couple different ways. The first way we see that is they started appointing people to the positions that God had played them. Not only have the priests and the Levites been kind of established in the midst of worship over God, but we see that they're now appointing people over the storerooms, which initially seems, really? Like, why, why is that important? Like, why is putting people over the storerooms important? Well, one of the reasons why it was important is because that's where the Levites and the priests and the singers and the gatekeepers got their income, basically. They received from a portion of the first fruits of the contributions of the tithes from the people so that they could support their own families and focus on leading the people to the worship of God. So what seems maybe as like a kind of a secondary or kind of not that important um, piece of information is actually super important because the worship of God would not have been able to happen if these people had not been in the places uh, that, they, uh, that they were. And it says that the people rejoiced because of the people being in this place. And I think, again, when we do things God's way in the way that he designed them to be, there should be joy. I don't know about you, but in the times in your life where you have followed Jesus and that you have uh, done what he has asked you to do, there's incredible amounts of joy. Now, that's not always the case. There are times where there's hardship and distress and other things in the midst of following the Lord. But oftentimes, when we follow God's ways and do them in the way that he calls us to, there is uh, incredible uh, joy. And so, we see that they were appointed over the storerooms, uh, they they were required by law, Uh, And so one of the things that's helpful to know in kind of how worship was set up in Nehemiah's day is that there were four main offices that kind of set up worship that David, actually God had given to David long before uh, that were set up. And those four uh, things are, um, David Tipton talked about this two weeks ago, but I think it's helpful to kind of frame things. The first were the Levites, and they had charge of the house of the Lord. So everything down to like cleaning, down to taking care of all the, uh, everything that was used in the midst of worship, whether that was sacrifices, tools, any of that, uh, the Levites were a part of. And the second were the priests, who were a special uh, kind of order or part of the Levites. Uh, And they could be officers and judges, judges for the people in the midst um, uh, of worship. The third one are the gatekeepers, 
who let people in and let um, kind of everything uh, be the way that it should be in the house of the Lord. And the last is the musicians or the singers for praise. So those four things um, are reset up uh, in the midst of the house of God of worship uh, from our passage. And so Nehemiah was fulfilling what God had directed in so- David and Solomon to do 500 years previously. Uh, and so it's pretty amazing that God appoints leaders of his people uh, and gives them gifts, talents, and skills to carry out the worship of God that glorifies him. So when we think about um, what the Levites uh, did, David Tipton talked about just the, it talks in our passage uh, as well as the service of purification, that they had to be pure because God, as we sung, is a holy God. In the midst of serving him, he wants his people to be holy. And so that's why um, not only the, they performed the service of purification, but the gatekeepers also uh, kept out anything that was unclean. Um, it was God's design that the Levites wouldn't inherit any land. Way back and further back in the Old Testament, when they set up the land uh, and all the tribes had different ones, the Levites were spread out through all of them because they were leading God's people in the midst of worship. And so since the Levites didn't inherit, inherit any land, they had to trust the system that God had set up, which was for the people to give and then them to be able to provide for their family so they could focus on worshiping. Um, And so when I think uh, about that uh, and the worship that God allowed to happen in the way that it was, I think about in our own lives, uh, like I said, uh, one of the examples that came to mind uh, was uh, Janessa Stoltz, if you don't know, got married yesterday. And so uh, as I think about when things are done God's way, there's rejoicing. Um, And so I think about Pete and Judy seeking to raise Janessa in the Lord as their daughter. And have they done that perfectly? They would readily read, no, but God's grace is sufficient. You know, and then Janessa coming to faith in Christ, the life that focused on him and wanting to serve him. Um, And and dignity overseas in uh, in the Czech Republic. And then I think about yesterday that there was a beautiful Christ, God-centered wedding ceremony that gave all the praise and glory to God. And there was much rejoicing. And I think even God's providence that they focused on in the ceremony of God bringing these two people together is Janessa had to go home. She was being a missionary in Czech Republic, had just gotten over there for a few months, and then COVID hit, and so she had to come back, and there was a lot of confusion for her. Uh, Like, God, what are you doing? I thought you were calling me over here. And yet God had something else. God had Tim, uh, her husband, for her. And, um, you know, so being patient and waiting for a godly spouse, even if it's a long time. Uh, you know, and there's, so there's just rejoicing. When we do things God's way, there's rejoicing. And so I know there were doubts and fears along the way, but again, by God's grace, we can live in that truth. And so another aspect that we see in our passage is we see that there's directors of singers. Uh, and it talks about how, uh, in verse 45 and 46, how they were set up in the ways um, through leading the congregation in praise and thanksgiving And so here we have King David, in fact, 500 years, a man after God's own heart, had singers, uh, and he himself wrote a lot of songs and psalms that were sung in the worship of God. And they were on duty day and night. Uh, Now, it doesn't tell us that that's still the same way that Nehemiah set it up, but can you imagine just singing praise to God day and night? And that was uh, how it happened uh, in the temple. And we know that in the dedication of their temple, there were musicians and trumpeters and cymbals, and they all praised God with one voice. 
Uh, and the singers sang truth about the Lord, his character, who he was, and thank God for what he has done. And that's the core of what we do in worship today. Uh, you know, lifting, telling God who he is and what he's done for us, and thanking him. And so one of the things that challenged me in this passage was, how are we bringing our own thanksgiving and praise? Obviously, in corporate worship, we do it, but individually, how are we bringing our own thanksgiving and praise uh, to God? And one of the ways for me that's been a blessing uh, over many years is uh, God, in a time of struggle where I was not uh, doing well in the midst of thanking him and, and knowing uh, and appreciating all that God had done for me, um, had somebody encourage me to do a thankfulness journal. And so for the last, I don't even know, it's probably been over a decade now, um, I regularly write down things and ways that I've been thankful for. And it creates a heart of thanksgiving and praise when we realize every day there's so many things that we have to be thankful for. Um, and the fourth uh, kind of direction, besides the priests, the Levites, and the singers, uh, are the gatekeepers. Uh, the gatekeeper is led in worship by guarding uh, the temple, guarding the house of God. They would spend the night stationed around the house of God because they had to guard it, and they had charge for the key to open it in the morning for the priests and for um, ultimately all the people uh, to be able to worship. They were in charge of who went out and who went in, and they ensured order and reverence for God's house. And so this was um, kind of a, uh, a helpful but also kind of surprising way to think about people, positions that God had set aside for worship. I don't know about you, but if you think about gatekeeping, uh, when you think about coming to worship, we don't often think in those kind of contexts. At least I don't. Um, and so, you know, before God's business could be conducted properly, only the prescribed people could come in. And they had clear commands about what they were. And that the gatekeepers were a part of the holy business and their positions were considered sacred. And so as the more I began to think and meditate on that, it's, it's what, what does that look like, not only for me personally, but for us as a church? Because if God set this up in such a way, and granted we don't have a specific temple where, you know, we come to worship, that, you know, because of Jesus we can worship um, anywhere through the Spirit, but God still set it up, and so I think that there's something to that. And so the more I thought about it, the more I thought about what in my own life do I need to be gatekeeping as I prepare myself for worship? And I think most of us would not be surprised, um, but I thought this illustration from John Bunyan was rather helpful in the midst of thinking. Uh, he illustrates this idea in uh, his book, The Holy War. It says, in this allegory, Bunyan likens humanity to a city, this famous town, a Mansoul, who had five gates in which to come and which to go out of. And these were impregnable, as such as could never be opened or forced but by the will and by the leave of those within. The names of the gates were ear gate, eye gate, mouth gate, nose gate, and field gate. In other words, the five senses are gates by which the human soul interacts with the world through the physical body. And these gates must be guarded, and in Bunyan's allegory, Mr. Godly Fear is just the man to do it. Godly Fear was a trustworthy man of courage, conduct, and valor. And the enemy attacked Mansoul in vain, as long as godly fear was the gatekeeper. You know, and so I think sometimes on Sunday mornings, at least even for me as a pastor, I come <laughs> to worship distracted by all the other things going on in life. Whether it's my senses, whether it's thoughts that I have, uh, whether it's things that I'm feeling. Um, 
And I just think about how does God want me to be a gatekeeper so that his worship can be pure and that my heart can be ready to worship him um, on a Sunday morning. You know, I think when we ignore our gatekeeper, we put ourselves and those we love in jeopardy. But when we in godly fear heed the warnings of the word and of the Holy Spirit, we're safe. Because so often Satan wants us to be distracted. He so often wants us to be discouraged. He so wants us to doubt the truth of who God is. Um, and so I think it's important for us to be aware uh, of his tactics to even distract us on a Sunday morning. Uh, and that one of the rules that God has given us in the past that we can um, remember and hopefully live out as being a gatekeeper for our own hearts uh, and lives. And in the same way, as a church, how do we gatekeep as a church? I think one of the ways that we do that, um, not only as a denomination, but uh, there's rigorous demands for ordination for pastors so that pastors can be able to preach and teach the word that God um, called it to. And so that's one gate as a denomination that we keep. But even uh, more as a specific church uh, is determining what's appropriate and what's not appropriate to include in worship. You know, God tells us how to worship him in his Bible, but there are always things aren't crystal clear of what's appropriate and what's not. And so using uh, and, and desiring to have the mind of Christ with the elders, uh, pastors figure out the way of what's appropriate in worship. And so, for example, my friend, a friend of mine who came and visited us uh, two weeks ago came, and she went to a church recently around the 4th of July, and the church ended up saying the Pledge of Allegiance in the worship service, and I was kind of caught back by that, and we talked a little bit about as as um, she was as well, and said, you know, in my thoughts, I'm all for our country, and I am so grateful for the gift to live in America and for the sacrifices that people have made so that we can enjoy the freedom to worship and the freedom to live. But ever as a pastor in our worship service, our pledge is not to America, but our pledge is to God, and he is the one that we will worship, and he is the one that we will pledge our allegiance to, not anyone or anything else. And so I said, I think uh, it's important, uh, again, this whole idea of gatekeeping is just a new concept in the midst of worship that I think is something that I encourage and challenge you to continue to think through um, and process. Because each role, as we see these four roles and how they interact in the kind of culmination of Nehemiah, uh, is important. Um, and each role served a purpose for the fulfillment of worshiping God. If the gatekeepers weren't doing their jobs and let all kinds of things in that weren't supposed to be there, worship wouldn't have happened. If the priests neglected their duties uh, to care and, and, and for the sacrifices, then worship wouldn't have happened. If the singers didn't sing, worship wouldn't happen. And so each role uh, is important. And when a role breaks down or is neglected, the worship of God suffers. So we've seen that God uses faithful leaders to lead the people of God in worship. Um, and so now... Uh, we'll see that this was only possible because of the giving of people. The people gave faithfully to support those who were leading them in worship so that they could focus on that task. Um, this is what they agreed to in the obligations. If you look back to chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, they agreed specifically to give of their first fruits, of their tithes, of their offerings, so that um, the people, the priests, and those leading worship could actually do their jobs. And so for the Levites, the priests, the singers, and the gatekeepers, um, the people rejoiced. And it was a joy for them to give of their first fruits, of their tithes and offerings to their spiritual leaders because they were blessed um, by them. So much so that it led 
to them not having the priests, uh, those leading in worship, didn't have to worry about material things um, for their families. They could give themselves fully to the work of the Lord. And so the congregation joyfully supplied them with what was necessary um, so that they didn't have to concern themselves with kind of the everyday um, tasks of what everyone else did, working in the fields and get providing food um, and other things. And I think, uh, as you will see in next chapter, chapter uh, 13, when that stops, what happened is the worship of God stops because the people had to care for their families. And so they left their positions as singers and gatekeepers and even priests and Levites and went to their fields to be able to provide food for their families so that they could live. And I think that's something um, that we don't always think about in the sense of we sometimes get distracted by the things that shouldn't be distracted in the midst of worship. Lower cares, you could maybe call them. Um, you know, we often say that the spiritual life is the most important thing in our life, but often our lives disprove that by w the way we live. We often place a higher value on earthly physical things than we do on heavenly spiritual things. And that's not what God has for us. And as we see in this culmination, that this is what God has for us, is that we are allowing the spiritual to have higher things that we're giving of ourselves and our time. Uh, when we think about um, giving to the church or neglecting to the church, it can create animosity between the leaders and the people. Um, now, it's a little bit of an awkward subject to be a pastor because I'm paid by our church and by all of you. Um, to talk about giving, but that's what this passage basically uh, is, is talking with. So you can walk with me in this little bit of an awkward swamp uh, as we kind of talk about this. Um, but it can create animosity between the leaders and the people if the people aren't giving so the worship of God can happen. Um, I know when it's hard. Uh, we have churches, uh, very small churches in the EPC and our presbytery that really struggle, and it creates some animosity between smaller churches and their leaders because they're not able to provide for their, their, their pastors in ways that they want to, um, and, but the pastors need to provide for their family, and so it creates this, this uh, animosity that can happen. And obviously, if there's animosity between the pastor and the congregation, the worship of God is going to suffer. And so in the same way, I think and something that we have to ask is, are we being faithful to give to the church so that we can provide for those who are leading us in worship? You know, God wants us to take care of those who he's called us into his service so they can focus on the ministry and not be distracted by the lower cares of just providing material needs for their families. Uh, so we see this, uh, again, when it doesn't happen, um, it becomes an issue and the worship of God suffers. So when you give to Church of the Redeemer, it supports our staff and the ministries that God calls us to, to be able to do the work that God has uh, called us and allowed us to do. So in, in our passage, there was rejoicing because of obedience to God's ways. Uh, and unfortunately, we're not always obedient to God and his ways, but thankfully, Jesus always is. Um, you know, we rejoice that we see the obedience because there are times where we have to look back to and see, yes, God, this was awesome. I experienced your joy in the midst of following you in the way that you are calling me to worship. Uh, but in so many ways, we fall short um, uh, of perfect obedience, and we'll see that very clearly next week at the end, the last chapter of Nehemiah. There are lots of examples of that. So what do we do when we fall short of God's perfect standards? We go to Jesus. I think about um, all the different uh, kind of places in our passage where it says um, different roles that God gives us in worship. 
Um, and so the first one is, is, in the midst of failing and offering our lives as spiritual acts of worship, like Romans calls us to, our worship of God each day, we repent and remember the truth that God, through Jesus, has made us into a royal priesthood. That is who we are. We're not only a child of God, but we're also a royal, royal priesthood. First Peter uh, 2, 4 through 5, and then 9 through 10 says this, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and pressed, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in the midst of the ways that we fail at our worship, we repent and we trust God on who he's made us to be. In the midst of not being like the singers in Nehemiah's time, because we fail to give praise and thanksgiving to God each day like he deserves, we look to Jesus. Jesus continues to point us to the Father and brings praise and thanksgiving to God by his life and death and resurrection. So through Jesus, we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and doing it all with thankfulness in our hearts. In the midst of not being a good gatekeeper, whether it's not guarding our heart or protecting our mind or allowing us to hear and believe the lies of the evil one, we listen to Jesus. He is full of grace and truth, helping us receive his grace when we, don't, when we know we don't deserve it and at the same time speaks his truth over us and prays on our behalf to the Father so that we won't give in to temptation or sin, but live out the truth by the power of his spirit. In the midst of not being a generous giver, whether it's with our finances or time or our resources or even with our very lives, we come to Jesus, who though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave his life, his everything, for us so that we might live. In his generosity, we get life. So let us live in such a way that every part of our lives brings glory and honor to his name. Let's pray. God, as we look and see your faithfulness of building the wall in Nehemiah's time, of celebrating the dedication to the wall and all of the ways, God, that you worked and people responded in obedience in the ways that you called them to, Lord, we just rejoice. Lord, and we thank you for that example. And yet, Lord, we know that in the midst of our sinful nature that we just are desperately in need of you. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you bridge that gap, that always, Lord, in the midst of any temptation, any sin, that we can look to you and that you live the perfect life so that we don't have to and so that we can rest in the truth of the gospel, that we are your precious children. Lord, I pray that you would sink these truths deep into our hearts today. Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.